This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. Podcast. I am your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, joined as always by my co-host, fellow senior writer Dan Murphy. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. Doing good, Al. And uh, we've got somebody else on the line, Dan. Why don't you introduce him? Yeah, man, this is uh, very cool. Um, we had some technical difficulties earlier today, and this is something I've wanted to have happen for a little while, and uh, fortunately it has. Uh, we've had, got the opportunity to have uh, a friend of mine from uh, the Great White North, Uh, the founder, the promoter of Smash Wrestling based out of Toronto, the fastest growing independent in Canada, and uh, with some fantastic news going on with Smash Wrestling, uh, we have Sebastian Suave, uh, Mr. Endorsement, The Endorsement, uh, joining us. How's it going, Sebastian? Thanks for having me, guys. Really looking forward to chatting with you. Yes, happy to have you on. We're going to be talking uh, some about the PWI 500, and obviously with 500 slots, a lot of it, maybe it's fair to say most of it is, is occupied by... Uh, stars of independent wrestling and i think you could help shed some light on what the 500 uh means to guys in the indies and uh we'll be talking about that and and also dan as you mentioned a lot going on with smash right yeah yeah i wanted to uh bring sebastian on because i'm i've been a fan of smash for a while uh if you saw me anytime last fall in person i was literally every day through the fall and winter wearing my smash hoodie you know my black (laughs) smash uh this is uh this is smash hoodie um, because I'm, I'm seriously, genuinely a fan of the product. And whether it's the women's division, the men's division, I love what's been going on with uh, the uh, well-oiled machines with Braxton Sutter and Psycho Mike and Allie and, and Rosemary and everything that's been happening with the company, uh, um, including the debut of uh, Andy Williams, who shows up in the PWI 500 this year uh, from Every Time I Die, doing his first match against Tarek up there in, uh, in Smash. But, uh, Sebastian, what is the, uh, the, the big news with... Uh, everything that's been going on with you over the past couple months oh, it's been crazy you know uh, for us we finally got to lock up a deal with fight network which uh, not only is it a major television deal for us but uh, it was a goal that was uh, nearly two and a half years in the making for us and uh, you know humbly speaking it's nice for a lot of companies to land a local television uh, or luck out with a bigger television uh, organization that's just uh, non-wrestling focused but for me it's always been uh, the goal to get with the fight network because it is fight based and uh, and it's our niche and it's our market and uh, as some people know over the years fight network is based out of Toronto which is home to us and you combine that with uh, what was a blessing in disguise which was this journey for two and a half years and scratching and clawing and uh, people there loving us and saying you know you guys are almost here just do X Y and Z because that extra weight uh kind of changed a lot of things on their end. They started investing more in wrestling content. They started bringing a lot of international wrestling content and having runs of uh, several hours of wrestling content. And uh, they eventually uh, uh, purchased the impact through uh, Anthem. And then we get to air after uh, a program like Impact and where we get to use their talent on our television show as well. So there's all these little factors that uh, made it a blessing in disguise and made us appreciate having that weight and has kind of positioned us a lot better uh, from a business perspective. And at the same time, it's allowed us to grow as a company and build a reputation 
and make a debut a little more polished and with a little more uh, um, buzz on the scene. Yeah. Well, glad to have you on and uh, certainly timely because uh, later on in this podcast, we'll be featuring an interview I conducted last week with the voice of Impact Wrestling, GFW, uh, none other than Josh Matthews. Um, kind of on, on the defensive, um, a lot of stories, headlines over the last week or two that are uh, not really positive about GFW and um, Josh is here to set the record straight. I mean, in his words, it's fake news. And he talks about um, the, the health of GFW and impact and uh, a lot of uh, things they've got going on, a lot of new initiatives, uh, very positive sounding. So uh, a fun talk. We also talk a bit about his career, both in uh, Global Force, TNA b- before that, and uh, WWE before that. So uh, look forward to hearing that. And, uh, Dan, we're going to be talking some PWI 500. Um, it, the digital issue has now been out for a couple of weeks. And uh, just today in my mailbox, I got the uh, print issue. It really looks fantastic. We've been looking at this cover now for uh, weeks or months since we shot it with Okada on the cover. Uh, but having it uh, in hand and, and being able to check it out, it really looks fantastic. Uh, have you gotten a chance to check it out? Appreciate it. Yeah, I've got it in front of me now. Yeah. It's really, I think, our best cover. Uh, Sebastian on the line here. He's Mr. 402 this year. Uh, in <laughs> fact, a lot of guys from Smash made it. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's it's really a great issue. I, I really love having the print edition in hand. It's uh, The digital edition's great, and I know a lot of people love going online and just checking out where everybody ended up. But actually, when you page through and see the photos and read the bios, it it definitely adds a lot more to the uh, the experience. Yep, and you and I have both been out there uh, promoting. Uh, you, of course, were on uh, Jim Ross's uh, podcast, uh, The Ross Report. Um, I recorded the PW Hustle with an old friend of mine, actually an old, an old journalism student of mine, uh, Billy Ray Valentine, uh, last week. I think that's up on YouTube. And uh, recorded last week with uh, my old friend Dave LaGreca at Busted Open for a show that is going on uh, Busted Open's on-demand um, app at uh, Sirius XM, so that was a lot of fun. Dave is awesome, um, always been good to me. So, uh, wanted to, why don't we talk a bit about uh, uh, the 500? W- what's the feedback you've been hearing, Dan? I think it's fair to say that uh, the feedback I've been getting is as positive as I can remember. Uh, I think now I've helped put together 11 of these, the PWI 500, and I don't remember uh, ever having as much positive feedback and i think it's got everything to do with who is our number one this year for the most part everything i'm hearing is very positive everybody seems to like okada at number one there's always going to be a lot of uh you know criticisms and anytime we do a list like this anytime anyone does a list like this for example uh you know some people losing their minds that uh roman reigns is at number four and kenny omega is at number five all right you know okay but you know, and, and we explain why that is in the magazine itself, but a lot of people kind of get into that. Uh, the other big one that a lot of people have been kind of uh, very loud about is uh, Naito at 12, uh, behind the mitts. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and you get into how many times have we had to explain criteria and evaluation periods and all that, and, uh, you know, I'm starting to feel like a broken record, but uh, a lot of times... Uh, people are looking at 
what a wrestler has done in the very recent history, uh, sometimes past the end of our evaluation period, and not necessarily, you know, cumulative over what they did over the whole evaluation period, which basically is uh, the halfway point of one year to the halfway point um, of the next. And also very often uh, uh, people e evaluate a wrestler based on his – uh, his his standing, his influence, his push within a company, and um, sometimes that doesn't tell the whole story. Certainly, a as far as uh, win loss records go and, and things like that, we were having a discussion earlier today because I solicited some feedback from Twitter uh, about the 500 uh, questions, that kind of thing, and something they came up was a couple of omissions. And every year we have them and. Um, I ran these by you. you. You've got a big hand in putting these together, and, and you said they weren't really omissions at all. Uh, and I guess one of the big ones that I've heard is Donovan Dijak, who uh, recently signed to WWE. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I feel this one particularly because um, I feel like I've written the same bio for Donovan Dijak for the past four years. Like, he, he really hasn't done much to distinguish himself. He's got a lot of potential, but again... We don't grade on what you can become. It's what you've done over the past year. Now, if we did grade on what you can do, I, I will easily say, and I was looking through the magazine earlier today, there's probably a half dozen guys between 401 and 500 that I think could easily be in the top 75 next year. If they sign with WWE, if the right things happen, they have the talent to be there. But we're not evaluating talent per se. It's accomplishments. Yeah. Work rate and ability has something to do with it, but we're not just looking. It's not a pure scouting report. It's based on everything they've achieved. Dijak has a lot of physical blessings, and he could go on to become whatever. I mean, he could be anything, um, but uh, he hasn't. Uh, and I, I kind of made the, the decision not to include him uh, this year. Uh, I think the other one that you had was uh, Trent Seven. Yeah. Uh, again, a favorite to win the U.K. tournament. Uh, kind of unimp didn't impress that much in that. He, he didn't win. He, he failed to win the title and, and some subsequent shots. And that's where the sliding scale with the 500 comes in. You might have somebody, um, this because we've got Seb on from uh, Smash, Kevin Bennett had a great year. He's been doing a lot in Smash, very talented cruiserweight. And he's done a lot on that stage and a few other regional stages. And he's exceeded expectations. So he moves up. He moves higher. There's been other guys like Trent Seven who kind of failed to achieve expectations, so they move lower. And everybody's expectations aren't the same. They're unique to the competitor. So we kind of watch that year after year, and, and that's how we really get a feel for uh, where people move up and down in the 500. Yeah, yeah. And again, as far as evaluation period, a lot of people are talking about a, uh, a match that Donovan Dijak had with uh, Keith Lee, I believe, at uh, the Battle of Los Angeles tournament, uh, Dave Meltzer gave it five stars, said it was the best American match this year, uh, but happened after evaluation period, a good deal after evaluation period. I think it happened a week or two ago. Uh, so, so that obviously wouldn't count. Um, so, yeah, uh, I stand by the 500. You know, look, you could – reasonable people can debate who, uh, you know, belongs where when you've got 500 people to rank, obviously – uh, you know, there's no perfect scientific formula to, to get it right. Uh, but, but I am very proud of the work we did, um, this year. And, and I know as a, an organization, as a magazine, uh, we all are. So, uh, you definitely want to, uh, check it out. Yeah. And one of the cool things about the 500 is that not only do, uh, uh fans 
often disagree with us, but we disagree with each other, right? I mean, there are uh, uh, ranking, rankings that you don't agree with, that you weren't crazy about people in certain spots. There are people I'm not crazy about in, in certain spots. Uh, I wrote my, my take on it. Uh, I'm certainly not happy about John Cena being at number 19. Um, but, you know, we, we do this by committee, and it is um, not a, a reflection of our individual opinions, but, but rather the collective opinion of, of PWI as an organization. So, uh, anyhow, if you haven't seen it, if you haven't picked it up, um, please do so. The, the place to do it is pwi-online.com. You can download the, the digital issue um, right there and, and have it on your uh, laptop, computer, phone, tablet uh, right away. Or you can order it, have it uh, mailed to your home. Or you can subscribe. And the longer you subscribe, um, the uh, the deeper the discount. Another thing that I saw a lot on uh, Twitter and the feedback we've gotten, Dan, is um how about the women you know you've got you're ranking 500 uh, men how about the women and there's an answer to that right and the answer is the next issue yeah yeah i'm uh, i'm deep into that now i'm almost finished with it um it, it's been ranked i'm writing all the bios now uh, um and uh again a lot of women who have kind of come up through smash wrestling are on there as well but this year what we're going to be doing as well in the past we've limited the women because there's only 50 spots and we've limited it to women in the U.S., based in the U.S. and Canada. And a couple occasional prominent, um, mostly Madison Eagles and um, uh, Kelly Skater, really, uh, who, who are based in Australia but held championships in Shimmer, which was arguably the top women's promotion, uh, and Saraya Knight. Um, but for the most part, everybody that we included was based in the U.S. and Canada. This year we decided, you know, we're going to open the, this up and go worldwide. Uh, so we have some Joshi wrestlers making their debut. We have some women from England, uh, which is going to be tough because it's going to knock out about 15 very talented indie women. And when you look at, number one, the field of 32 that constitutes the Mae Young Classic, everyone on the WWE and NXT radar, your impact talent and the international talent, the women on the independents who are not affiliated with those who made the cut are really the elite, and it's, it's going to be a, a tougher year than ever to think of this year. Yeah, yeah, and, and we're talking about the female 50, and it is the, the next issue of uh, PWI, and if you haven't seen uh, the December issue, which is the PWI 500, another question that's out there is when it comes out in newsstands, and I think the answer to that is... Uh, Technically, September 26th, my sense is that sometimes you might find that a little earlier or a little later than that, but that is the official uh, newsstand drop date, the newsstand release date, so um, check that out. Uh, again, pwi-online.com. I, I wanted to read something. I mentioned uh, my take being about John Cena. The senior writers get to write uh, a page, uh, their kind of view, their, their take on the 500. I wrote about Cena. You wrote about... Uh, PWI missing the boat in some past 500s, maybe some other times. Your point being Okada should not have been the first Japanese wrestler uh, to be number one. And uh, our buddy Harry Burkett, the other senior writer for PWI, uh, I was reading his column, and uh, it's really fantastic. He, he talks about the significance of the 500, not just to the stars, the folks in the top 10 that dominate so much of the conversation, but the lesser-known people. And I'll read you a, uh, a paragraph uh, from what he wrote. <clears throat> Think about it. Earning the number 500 spot means as much to Dan Richards 
as making number one means to Kazuchika Okada. And you can bet everyone in the Raw and SmackDown locker rooms will notice that AJ Styles is the top-ranked WWE wrestler, that Kevin Owens has edged out Roman Reigns to make number three, and that NXT champion Bobby Roode has made the top ten. My point is the 500 is just as important to major league contenders such as Dean Ambrose and Chris Jericho as it is to lesser-known names such as Cheeseburger and Space Monkey. And uh, Sebastian, having you on the line, I wanted to, to run that by you. Uh, again, so much of the, of the 500 being populated by, by stars from the indies. Um, give us a sense of what the PWI 500 means to that weekend warrior, the guy who's just, you know, starting out or maybe has been at it for a long time, but, but maybe isn't known that much outside of his home promotion. Uh, what does the 500 mean to them? I think uh, for a lot of guys uh, in their first few years, uh, it's a biased thing whether you have a good ranking or you don't have a good ranking you're off. It's, I mean, it's human nature, and you see it in – I follow a lot of professional sports religiously. So uh, right now you see a lot of professional basketball players getting bitter about their rankings in, in that context. And I think at first people, if they have a good ranking, they share it. They, they, it really motivates them. And I'll take myself for example. When I was young, and I, I made my – first two three years on the list i remember went from 400 to 300s to mid 200 and it, it was motivating i mean uh when you are a weekend warrior you may not be uh you know when you want to share the news with your friends and family for them it's, are you on wwe that's the extent of what they know but yeah. when you get to show them a magazine and say hey uh some people think i am in the top 250 wrestlers across the world amongst like tens of thousands, maybe if not more. It's something that gives you a bit of a recognition. And, uh, you know, in an industry like professional wrestling, like uh, many other industries, where you do sacrifice and you scratch and you claw in, there may not be some immediate uh, short-term uh, reward. This, this is something that can be sentimentally, privately. And uh, for me, it, took a, it was a positive note as back then I wasn't promoting as much. So uh, every inch of, you know, my efforts were motivated by, let's say, uh, a title reign or a significant main event push in one company or a, a list such as this. But I think as we all we all get a little more older and mature, uh, you learn as a as a professional athlete. To be honest, as an entertainer, whether you're a hockey player, basketball player, or you're a comedian, you learn that you have to take both the good and the bad with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah, and and I think the most <clears throat> rewarding uh, part for, for us about the PWI 500, again, so much attention paid to where Roman's Re Roman Reigns is this year or where AJ Styles is this year. Uh, but what is great is that feedback from uh, uh, the independent wrestlers over Twitter. They find where they are. They see that they jumped from the previous year. They get to feel that they're moving in the right direction in their career. And on the flip side of that, Dan, is hearing from wrestlers who – weren't ranked and maybe they're a little disheartened a little discouraged um and you know it, it, we never feel good about that right and, and the thing is there's some damn good wrestlers that didn't make the cut this sure. year i mean this year again with everything that happened with the uk and that scene blowing up i guess there were maybe say off the top of my head 30 guys from the uk uh who made the list for the first time this year or who didn't make it last year who made it this year and by just attrition that could be 30 people that they pushed out who all theoretically could have deserved to make it. They just didn't have the year in the WWE uh, spotlight on them. Yeah. Um, so it, it changes from year to year. And that's kind of the beauty of it. Cause you don't want to run the same list every year. I mean, things change year after year. And 
a year or two out of the list doesn't really mean anything because you can be right back, you know, with the right set of circumstances. I mean, look at, you know, Chris Hero, Cassius Ono. I mean, in fact, getting out of WWE was, was probably better for him. Like Drew McIntyre, uh, Drew Galloway, uh, going out there and reinventing themselves on the independents and coming back bigger and hotter than ever before. So sometimes taking that step backwards, be it with WWE or with the 500 at any point in your career can actually lead to you coming back stronger than you ever were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And again, um, if, if you want to read it for yourself, go to pwi-online.com, pick up the issue or subscribe. Um, and while you got that computer on, why don't you follow us on Twitter at OfficialPWI. Um, find us on Facebook, drop us a line at pwipodcast.com at outlook.com um got a couple minutes here don't want to spend too much time but did want to hit on uh, a couple of current events uh, uh items uh firstly uh dan this is timely again you're putting together the the female 50 and uh, a big headline coming out of women's wrestling was last night the crowning of the first uh may young classic uh tournament winner uh Kyrie sane uh beating Shayna baszler in uh, a pretty solid tournament final um, what are your thoughts on the two? I, th- I thought they might go with, with Baszler because they seem to be working on this angle with the four horse women versus the four horse women and Ronda Rousey apparently being on board. Certainly this doesn't mean that they can't go ahead with that, but I thought that it, it might make sense within that context to have Shayna Baszler come out of this. The winner, they got something else in mind. Uh, wh- what were your thoughts on the tournament as a whole? Kyrie Sane winning it and where do they go from here? With Kyrie Zane, um, especially not having an NXT Women's Champion at the moment. Well, first of all, I think that it was the May Young Classic was a huge, huge win for women's wrestling. And uh, I, Shayna Baszler, I became a fan of hers when I first saw her debut in Shimmer. I had my doubts that something I've talked about it here on the podcast, but I had my doubts that somebody could come in from MMA and pick up the nuances of pro wrestling so well. And she, she did it seamlessly. She's a, she was a amazing. seasoned pro out there. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Now, Carrie Sane, I've, I've gotten to see, um, luckily, I, I was able to see uh, Io Shiree, Mayu, uh, Mayu Awatani, and Kari uh, Hojo at the time with stardom in person. And the three of them just blew me away. They were in a match with cheerleader Melissa. Uh, and I actually got to know them all personally, and I know Shayna personally. And um, seeing the two of them rise through that field, and it, it just made me so happy because they're really the best at what they do. Um, some of the other women in the field not only will could they be stars, but they will. Um, Evie, um, uh, Dakota Kai, uh, absolutely will be the next uh, AJ Lee, uh, in my opinion. Um, but I, I think that Carrie, Kari Sane is probably going to be the next Asuka. And I would think, I would have booked it this way maybe, that they, she'd be given the NXT women's title as a uh, reward for winning the tournament setting off some uh, a rivalry with uh, Ember Moon, um, you know, for bypassing her and then setting up the feud that way. Yeah, uh, but they very well could still do that. Yeah, and I think that will probably be the thing that happens. But I think there's at least seven or eight women who are in that tournament who are going to be big stars for WWE to, uh, in the coming months. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was fun to watch kind of an experiment with the, the way they released it, the kind of binge-watching format where they released a bunch at a time. Uh, but, you know, I was skeptical, but but I enjoyed it. I was able to, you know, watch a bunch at a time, and, and they went by quickly. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it thoroughly. And I thought it was a, a good, respectful presentation. And, uh, yeah, they could definitely use 
some new talent uh, both in NXT and in the main roster. So a, a bunch in the pipeline there, you know, and, and if the Cruiserweight Classic was any example, uh, again, you, you could just get a wealth of talent from these tournaments. So, yeah. You could you could make your own women's show. If, I mean, yeah, if, yeah. if 205 Live grew out of the, the Cruiserweight Classic, why not do a, a women's weekly show? Sure, sure. I'm sure that's been discussed. Uh, the other item I wanted to touch on uh, quickly, uh, Roman Reigns and John Cena have been cutting these promos every week on each other that are getting a lot of people's uh, attention and building up to their match at no mercy. Um, worth talking about because, gosh, I don't know what they're doing. I mean, it, it, it's sort of a throwback to that, that sh- worked shoot promo style that I was never a fan of. And it, it certainly... Uh, I don't know if entertaining in the word is the word, but but it's eye catching and and you're glued to your TV set in kind of a train wreck sort of of uh, a way. Uh, but I mean, they're out there just exposing every flaw in the other. You ripping on each other's promo styles, work rates, drug test failures, uh, and they're both ostensibly not just baby faces, but your top two baby faces, and they're out there ripping each other apart, uh, uh, really cutting deep, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure what you get out of this whole thing. What are your thoughts been on on uh, their promo battles over the last few weeks? It makes for interesting watching the next day. Like, if you miss Raw and you hear some people, hey, did you catch that promo? Okay, I can check it out on YouTube. Does it make me want to see the match? No, not not particularly. Because the main thing about wrestling is you never want to point out your opponent's weaknesses. I mean, if, if your opponent has all these weaknesses and is so flawed, then why why did I want to watch you yeah. beat him? I mean, he's obviously a flawed person. And if they're both flawed, who one can't talk, the other's only a part-timer or whatever, it, that's like watching Lesnar against Goldberg the first time at WrestleMania where the fans just turned on the match and like, well, we just don't care. Neither of them have their heart in this, and they both made it abundantly clear, and, and that's it. Yeah, um, yeah. So my, it, it, is that, I mean, Bobby Heenan once, I, I remember this vividly as a youngster and you being an ultimate warrior fan might remember it. Ultimate warrior ran out and he had the tassels and everything else. And Bobby Heenan made a little line in commentary, just saying only reason he ties those bandanas around his arms is to make his biceps look bigger. And the thing is it cut too close to the bone because it, it's true. Like he was yeah. doing that bigger than life. And even as a kid, you'd look at him and be like, yeah, you know, Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan kind of makes sense there. Like, I kind of find myself agreeing with the heel. And once you find yourself agreeing with the heel, then it, it kills the baby face. Yep. So you, you generally want to avoid that. But uh, Cena and Reigns are trying to do something different. Well, hey, Sebastian, I know we're running out of time. But quickly, do, what do you think as a promoter? Do you agree with that assessment? Or do you think that, you know, the Eric Bischoff controversy creates cash kind of yeah. model? Um, you know, I always, always have the mindset that, I mean, you hear a lot that wrestling uh, is like a circus, and that that extends also to uh, promoting philosophy. What works for one promoter or promotion may not work for the other. Um, I do think it works in uh, small doses here and there. It's got to be seldom, and I think that's what the WWE does. I mean, it's something that you typically wouldn't expect of them, and when it happens, I think that's part of the shock values because it's... It's not an ECW environment. It's not that edgy underground, uh, we pull no punches kind of independent promotion. When, when it happens on the WWE scene, uh, it's exciting because you weren't prepared for it. And when it does involve, let's say, a CM Punk with a John Cena, or this, at this time with John Cena and a Roman Reigns, uh, 
it, it creates a lot of conversation. And, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a presumption on my end, but I think a big thing for WWE these past years has been their strengths are social media, and a lot of moves they do are often to uh, engage people and talking on social media. And um, But, you know, it, from my personal standpoint, yeah, I, it, I always go back to some of the notes you guys made that uh, shooting on people using real-life scenarios, uh, you're not you're not helping the other person. And, uh, a, you know, often wrestling storylines and heel and face moments involves uh, scenarios that, um, you know, the heels are using the heel comments and the faces are uh, using, using a kind of a, a face approach. Uh, shooting on people, it, 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 it has its short-term benefit and shock value. Uh, it's a very great area to, to try to pull off. I, I think... Um, have the right guys, whether it's in the office or on the mic, uh, I think they can find that balance. Uh, CM Punk being one that I think, uh, given the green light on what uh, what grounds he was able to talk about, you can pull it off uh, in such a scenario where you got two stalwarts who are at the top of the game and are very valuable. Uh, it's a bit of a risky spot. It's, it's not what I would prefer, but I do see why the WWE uh, may I just, you know, throw a small dose every now and then. Like I said, I think a big part of it is they find a variety of ways, just not shock value, to create engagement on social media and create discussion. Uh, you can go back to the uh, the Goldberg title win that happened in seconds. There's there's decisions that are factored in by a, a strategic business approach. Yeah, yeah, Very true. absolutely. All right, guys, thank you so much. We are at, what, like the 45-minute mark here. Oh, more than that, even. Um, a lot of fun. <laughs> Want to leave time for uh, Josh Matthews, but this was a fun talk. Um, Sebastian, we've got to have you back on. Good luck with everything um, uh, with Smash. Sounds like you guys are doing fantastic. Glad to hear uh, of all your successes. Anything you, you want to plug? Um, honestly, yeah, it's just like yeah, you can catch us now. We've made it almost inexcusable for people to give us a shot. We, we are on Fight Network. Uh, Fight Network is available on Roku, Apple TV. It's in over 30 uh, countries. Uh, we do have reruns. We are right after uh, Global Force uh, on Thursdays at 10. We're in the middle of a prime time slot on Tuesday at 8 p.m. between uh, Ring of Honor and CML and a bunch of great companies. Uh, we have Smash On Demand, which is 749. Not only does it feature our promotion and all our live events and our weekly TV show that's on Fight Network, but we've partnered up with a lot of other promotions from across the globe, such as Progress Wrestling, for a while now. And you get to see uh, their content as part of the 749. And we're very active with social media and offering people free matches. And, um, we've really developed a community, and that's what we're looking for. We're looking, if you are a passionate wrestling fan, we are aware that you don't just follow one brand, whether you know, you're following Progress Wrestling and WWE and Ring of Honor and New Japan. There's only so many hours you have in a week, and I'm sure you guys can attest that being uh, as part of the media. There's only so much you can watch. So we, what we try to do is we try to offer people truly a fresh alternative that they can't find elsewhere, and I think that's where uh, we can fit into people's schedules. So uh, at Smash Wrestling, uh, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and smash-wrestling.com is our website. That's Excellent. about it. Uh, I do appreciate uh, having me on, guys. It's always great to talk shop with you, boys. Yes, our pleasure. Um, thanks for coming on. Uh, Dan, thank you. Appreciate it. We'll, we'll be back uh, soon to do this again. Uh, for now, let's hear from the voice of Impact Wrestling, Josh Matthews. 
I'm sure you're aware of some of the headlines, what's out there. You, I'm sure, having more of a knowledge of what's going on than, than outsiders. What, what kind of uh, light can you shed on, on what's happening? Well, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in what I've seen out there this week after Tuesday because we've been working so hard on these over-the-top platforms that we're looking to be a part of and our own GWN, Global Wrestling Network, that will be launched imminently. And it's just to see the things out there um, that are just completely false and you've got so many people working so hard on three different TV, Ron Fighting, which launches today, uh, less than two hours, less than an hour for now, and then our, w, our GWN, and, it's, uh, you know, look, this company's been getting beat up for 15 years, um, maybe at times rightfully so, but I think now it's just, um, you know, to have fake news out there about what we're doing is, is sad. What, what do you make of it? Is, is it uh, a, a leak, somebody in the company that has an ulterior motive to be spreading bad information? Is it um, reporters maybe misunderstanding part of the story, not having a full picture? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I, you know, again, I'm not accusing anyone inside of being a leak that has a, a different motive, but it doesn't make any sense for someone on the inside because there has been so much happening on a daily basis, so many different, you know, meetings and phone calls and conferences and planning and, you know, trips to Toronto, talks with Toronto about the OTPs and, you know, conference calls with Pluto, and I'm on all of them. And never once has anybody said anything about, well, we might not be around <laughs> to do these, yeah. uh, you know, these huge things. So, again, it might be a little bit of both. Um, I saw the article that everyone's talking about and, you know, just sort of rolled my eyes at it because it made no sense to me, but it did grab attention. And, and I've gotten – Three or, four, three or four phone calls from, you know, vendors and people that I work with saying, like, oh, man, I really hope you guys pull through. And it's like, no, 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 we're, we're good. Like, <laughs> uh, there's nothing yeah. to pull through right now. Everything is, is on the up and up. So, so there's some things that, that are uh, the case, I imagine, and maybe you can clarify things, uh, but, but there's some truth in, in some of what's out there. Uh, even Global Force acknowledged uh, Jeff Jarrett's departure, not a lot of information there. I know that was kind of the launching off point for a lot of these stories and people taking that to be, this is the beginning of the end. This is part of a bigger story of, of the company going under. And, and like you could said uh, on that, what's happening uh, with Jeff. And I know some of it is sensitive, some of it involves some personal issues. So I imagine I think you can address, uh, but, but what can you say about it? Well, I've always been very candid and open with everyone as it relates to everything that, that I'm doing with the company and the company is doing. And what we put out on Tuesday is very much the truth. Definitely taking a uh, leave of absence. And Jeff is going to deal with some personal issues, and it's not incumbent upon me to, you know, talk about what those issues are. Um, I've grown to really like Jeff, and I hope he, you know, he can deal with those issues and come up the other side. Um, there's really nothing more to it that I can say other than that was the news that we put out Tuesday that um, an indefinite leave of absence, and he has the full support of everyone in the company. Does impact uh, Global Force not miss a beat with Jeff gone? I mean, does the machine just keep on going? I think it has to, and I, that's not a knock against anybody. It has to. Any machine has to keep going. And the good thing is we've got TV until the week before Bound for Glory in the can. Everything's done. And the production team and Kevin Sullivan and his team and, and Jimmy and, and Ben and Kenny and Eric and, and Jay and all those guys down there, you know, they're working on these shows and working off of the formats that they had when we were down at TV 
um, a few weeks ago. And digitally, I'm working off of the formats that we had when we were down there. And, you know, everything is status quo as it relates to what we're doing, where we're going. I think what you saw on the show last night was the same show that you would have seen had Tuesday not happened. And the show that you'll see Thursday will be the same show that you will see had Tuesday not happened. So, you know, it's, it's moving forward. It's, these shows are done. We have to get to Bound for Glory, and we're looking forward to getting to Bound for Glory. How is the uh, relationship with Anthem? I guess that's another thing that's out there, that maybe there's some buyer's remorse. Maybe they didn't know what they were getting into, and uh, uh, the, the, the lack of, of progress or growth that they had hoped is now making them kind of reconsider uh, this whole arrangement. Well, I don't think there's any reconsideration. I think our president at Nordholm knows exactly what he is getting into and what he got into, and you know, he likes to say that it's a lot of blocking and tackling. We're not storing Hail Marys in bunches like you saw last night at the football game. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you know, you're seeing a slow build and a slow, you know, we're moving in five to ten-year increments. We're not moving in, you know, Hail Marys. And that's good, though. I mean, these three launches, these three OTPs, I think that it can't be stressed enough how um, important these are. You have Pluto TV, which will be readily available if you download the app, and then you'll have the Impact Channel. Um, our GWN network that will be coming will be huge and worldwide. And then you have uh, Ron fighting in Germany, which literally, you know, like I said, 55 minutes from now, they're going to get going. And the first episode of Impact, the episode aired last night, is going to be airing in Germany uh, here in just a little bit. What, what does that do for the size of uh, Global Force's audience? I know people look at the, 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 the pop um, viewership and uh, you maybe compare it against where TNA was seven, eight years ago on Spike and think, you know, you need more than that. Uh, do these over-the-top uh, uh, digital platforms uh, significantly increase the, the size of the audience? Yeah, it just makes our footprint so much bigger. You know, now we're in Germany, and we're going to be in, in more countries, you know, in Austria and Switzerland. And then when you look at what we do on YouTube, it's, it's amazing. We just hit a billion YouTube views. We'll hit a million subscribers here, you know, in the next month or so. So the, the hunger and the, you know, the crave for people to see what we're doing is out there. And Pop has been a great partner. They're continuing to grow on their end. And, you know, they'll be available on more platforms and they'll be available on HD. And, and all these things are growing. We're sort of growing together. And look, I get it. Um, what the company was doing on Spike years ago, but, you know, put any other company against what we were up against during these times of going off of Spike and then going to Destination America and then coming to, to Pop, I don't know if a lot of them survived. And I think Anthem and their wisdom, they saw something. Um, our president, Ed Nordholm, saw something, and they came in, they breathed life into this company, um, and now here we are almost to the end of 2017, and, you know, there's all these things that are happening. We're going to be on Pop again, um, in 2018, and, and we'll go from there. What, uh, I guess one of the, the parts of the story that's also out there is that the, um, the house show run in the Northeast, uh, that string of shows, I think one, that one ended up being canceled, uh, that it, it did so poorly that that was really deflating for, for Global Force and uh, maybe another big setback. I actually went to one of those. I was at the, the Staten Island one, and uh, as I always say, TNA before, Global Force now, always one of the most fan-friendly shows, uh, a blast to watch, a really, really good time. Uh, but yeah, I, I was surprised at how small the audience was. I mean, it was a, a, a good-sized stadium, and I wasn't expecting it to be full, but there was a few hundred people. I can't imagine that you guys were, were happy with the size of uh, that audience. 
what did you take from that? Is it just kind of a learning experience? Was that kind of where expectations were considering where you guys are right now? Yes. It wasn't a shock to anyone that, um, you know, ticket sales were what they were. And, you know, I had been with um, working with Raphael, who, who kind of coordinated those from the beginning and, and strategic planning and spending properly. And, and everyone knew, you know, what they were going, you know, there were projections and there were things of what was going to happen. But going in before, you know, a few weeks before going in, we knew what they were going to do and still wanted to do them and still wanted to put on, you know, the live events. Uh, the Sunday show in Connecticut got canceled, you know, for logistical reasons, but Staten Island went off and, um, you know, we got the, the video packages out of them. We saw them in the show and it's all about forward momentum and, and just bringing attention to the brand and, you know, two live events in August. If we lost some money on those two live events, you know, we did them at the end of the day. And, and I think that, you know, you have to do them. You have to have these tests out there to show you, okay, what did we do here? How did they work? And what can we do next? So will there be more? I mean, again, some people, the takeaway was that's it. They're going to, they're going to be done with live events after uh, these, these two. Did that not discourage you guys from going forward with more of these? I don't know if there'll be any more in 2017. Um, you know, I think that the plan would be to do more in, in 18. Um, also, with, I think, and I'm just thinking back to conversations I've had, there were some talks of maybe doing some shows, some live events in Toronto. So I don't think there was a huge amount of discouragement. Um, but I think it, it's more strategic into, you know, you're going to spend a lot of money to do these shows. Where are you going to get the best bang for your buck? Yeah, yeah. You know, I interviewed uh, Eli Drake to promote uh, those shows, and uh, I remember asking him where he thought he was going in the company, was the, the ultimate goal to become the heavyweight champion, and, and sure enough, a few weeks later, uh, he ends up heavyweight champion. Uh, there's a whole backstory behind that, but I, I think, in general, the feedback has been good, and people are happy to see uh, the company get behind kind of a homegrown guy. One of the raps that that uh, CNA, when it was CNA, got was for relying too heavily on on former WWE talent, and he got that that belt off of Alberto. And people thought, you know, here we are again. They're they're uh, kind of leaning on the former WWE guys. So, what can you say about the decision putting the the title on Eli Drake? What does, does he represent? Kind of the direction of the company in in looking more inside for for talent and its stars. You know, I think Eli was a great choice as global champion. I predicted him to become champion this year, about a month ago on the shows. It's just something that he has. You know, they always say that they have that intangible. And Eli has that intangible. And to answer the question about the homegrown stars, I mean, yes, I think it's a good idea. But, you know, um, you know, to put it on someone who works so hard, I thought it was an amazing uh, idea to put the title on, on Eddie Edwards when that happened. I know that Eddie's not really considered a homegrown impact right. star, but I thought that was a great idea. And I think that, you know, you know, I'm not hot shotting the championship over and over, but I think Eli's a, a great representative of the championship and what a champion should look like and, and who a champion should be. And I think that, you know, Eli's going to get out there and put more eyes on the championship. And I think that, you know, it, it, it sets up some interesting matchups with Johnny Impact coming in, EC3 still in the mix, James Stone's always around, um, you know, we're going to see what happens with Lashley here in the next coming week. So, you know, a lot of we have a lot of young talent that I think are hungry and, um, you know, just need an opportunity to run the ball. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask a little bit about uh, your own career. How many years now have you been um, in GFW slash DNA? Oh, I don't know. Three, maybe four? Three, yeah. Okay, around there. So, so you come from, obviously, the juggernaut WWE where um, – 
you're part of the machine, but it's this gigantic machine, and it's WrestleMania, and it's kind of this this gigantic uh, uh, company. And now you're you're in a spot where where you're trying to build something, right? I mean, it it is a smaller in scale, but you get to be part of growing this thing. Can you compare the two? I mean, is is it uh, is this more rewarding, um, or or is it just really kind of apples and oranges? It's certainly more rewarding. Um, it's more taxing <laughs> uh, than anything else. I mean, the WWE, like, you know, I think that there's a level of intimidation um, for most people. I mean, I was an announcer, and I sort of had a hand in, in helping with, you know, the network, uh, things that were going to be on the network. But that was years, you know, that's 12 years into my career. Um, and now here, you know, my day starts every day at 4 a.m. I wake up and... Um, I'm working with our graphics designer who's in London. He's in the United Kingdom and our partners in London, um, you know, from a PR standpoint, um, was it two, uh, whatever day that we came up, uh, the launch went out for, for one fighting, I was up at two, uh, making sure that that was going to go up at, at the appropriate time in Germany. So it's just been um, completely, it is comparing to two different things, but I'm in the business that I love. I'm doing what I love every day. Um, you know, the only person that gets upset with my work schedule is my wife, and rightfully so. But, um, you know, it's just, it, it's so much fun to be a part of uh, of this team. And that's where, you know, you see these stories and these negative things that come out. And that's what, you know, that's what punches you in the gut. And that's what makes someone like Kevin Sullivan get on Twitter and defend the company. And other people defend the company because, you know, we, we're there in the trenches every single day. And, um, you know, you, you want this to succeed and you want it to grow and you want to help it. And look, all of us want to be on a winning team and on a winning team. I've been saying that for a year and a half, how do we turn this into a winning team and how do we get the public to realize that, you know, these people are working hard. And I look at my family when I'm eating dinner at night, you know, looking at everything that we have and saying, this is only provided by DFW and Anthem and the people that are supporting this, you know, from a higher level, from, from a financial level. Well, one of the things I've heard, and, and frankly, one of the things I've said is that, um, Impact, Global Force, is uh, in some ways kind of paying for the sins of the past. And you look at the product right now, and I think a lot of people agree with this, it's a good show right now, the talent is good, on any given week it might be the best wrestling show uh, on television. Um, the, the, the audience still isn't totally there, it hasn't come around yet, uh, but it feels like the, the, the pieces in a lot of ways are, are in place. Uh, do you agree with that? I mean, do you feel that you, there were times, even within um, your stay there, within the last three years, where you were part of a product that you, uh, uh, your heart wasn't totally into, you couldn't uh, agree with everything that was going on, and is this more the, the, the GFW, the impact that you, you think is kind of putting forth the, 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 its best foot forward? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you're not always going to agree with everything, right, um, from a creative standpoint, and I'm not a part of the, the creative process. It's the only department in the company that I'm not a part of. Um, um, well, post-production too, I, I, I would assume, but, but, um, but really, you know, there's things that have, that have come up in, in production meetings that I've questioned that not really, you know, that doesn't make sense to me, but, you know, again, um, you're not always going to agree with everything, but I think what we've been doing over the last year or so and, uh, and beyond has been, has been really good. I mean, my wife was a part of the creative team before the change, and I was super proud of what she did with the alley wedding and Braxton Sutter and Laurel Van Ness, and that was the last day of like a 12-day taping, and that wedding was the last thing we did, and everyone went home happy, and it was such a well-produced, 
well mm-hmm. thought out segment. And, and, you know, how can you not be happy when that was the last thing that we did after like two weeks of taping? Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that pretty much got universal uh, good reviews, uh, I think. And then there's been your, your own angle <clears throat> over, over the last few months and some mixed reviews for that. Some people either loved where it went or hated where it went, and, and obviously the, the climax being the tag team match with uh, you and Scott Steiner against uh, J.D. and uh, Chris Park. Um, how do you look back on that? Are, are you pleased with how that, that all turned out? Um, obviously, some of it was, was tongue-in-cheek and, and the payoff, and some people really got a kick out of it, and some people not so much. Yeah, I think I got the wrestling bug out of me for the first time <laughs> in, uh, in 12 or 13 years. You know, it, was, it all came about so organically. Um, when Jeff came back in, in January or March or whatever it was, um, you know, I had never I had met him one time on an airplane once, but, you know, we, we said hello, and that was it. And they were there at TV, and I said to him before I went out, I said, they don't like me. And he, you know, kind of laughed, like chuckled it off, like, okay, you know, you know, I get it. They don't like you. But then when I came back at the end of the night, he's like, dude, they don't just, they don't like you. They hate you. Like, you're the most hated person <laughs> here. And he said, I got an idea. And I said, okay, cool. And that was it. We left, and uh, uh, we started talking about it over the next few weeks. And, and you know, all, everything that everyone saw on Twitter and, uh, you know, everything that we did was, was done by design. It, it wasn't. You know, I think it was Ryan Satin who called me saying, well, the public's mad at you. Okay, Ryan, uh, let me get the hook out of your mouth. Um, <laughs> you know, the whole thing, we got everyone, and that's what was the most fun for me. And then I had so much fun working with JB, and I love Chris uh, Abyss, and um, and Scott Steiner was amazing to work with. So how can I not be happy with, you know, having a, a big part of uh, the biggest show of our summer, uh, summer anniversary? Were you all in from the beginning, or um, was there any reluctance there? Because – when an announcer makes that transition, and I guess you were in WWE when, when they did the whole angle with Michael Cole, right? And, and I uh, had to really call fun. every show as the straight man for a year. Because yeah, and, and there was a thought that uh, that took Mike, that, that it took a long time for Michael Cole to kind of gain back the, the trust as an announcer because he became part of the show. Um, so, again, was, was that in the back of your head? Any reluctance about how do I return to the microphone just to the announce table after being part of something like this? Yeah, I was a little worried about my credibility. I really was. But, you know, where we are now with me doing the color on the show, I think it actually helped because, you know, the fans saw me in the ring. I don't know if a lot of people will even remember that, that I know how to do this early. Um, so I think that sort of helped in that sense. But I was worried about my credibility. And, you know, some of the stuff on social media um, I had a real hard time with, like I, to the point where I was, you know, emotionally upset. Uh, the stuff with Shark Boy at the very beginning, like I wanted to DM him on Twitter and say, hey, man, this isn't. This isn't real. Like, um, but, you know, I couldn't do it because I was afraid he was going to screenshot it and post it on the Internet. Um, yeah. You know, so my wife and I would have real late-night long talks about what was happening and, and the direction of everything. But, you know, I put my trust in the creative team, and I don't think that they did anything wrong. Um, and I think that, you know, at the end of it, you know, the way we did the match, I think everyone sort of, you know, either got it at that point or, or they, were, they didn't like it from the beginning. There was nothing we were going to do anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, you talked about the wrestling bug, and, and you're right. A lot of people don't remember first season of Tough Enough. You got in this uh, business to be a pro wrestler, and, that, and that's what you aspired to be. And, and for a while, I think, I remember watching that season, and I remember people thinking you were the favorite. And this is the guy who's got the, the, the most to offer with the athletic style. And that's what now, 15, 16 years ago, right? Yeah, it was like in 2001, and then it was uh, Kevin Dunn and Michael Cole and Al Snow and Taz who uh, yeah. you know, gave me an opportunity to be uh, to, an announcer, and, and I never looked back. But, you know, um, to have the opportunity to, to, to get in the ring and, 
and have a match. Um, you know, it's so funny. I don't know if anyone knows this, but when Impact started, and it was TNA all those years ago, I had a contract to be on those first Wednesday night pay-per-views. And oh, really? at this, before they were taping, like a week before, I called Bob Ryder, and I said, um, you know, I got a job offer from WWE, and he said, let me call you back. And he took a Jeff, and he called me back. He said, rip up our contract. He said, rip it up. We don't know how long we'll be around. Go work for them. And that's what I did for 13 years. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, it was the decision that I had to make with what I wanted to do. And, you know, hindsight being 2020, I still would have made the decision uh, that I made all those years ago. So for those 15 years, being ringside, seeing other people uh, sort of living out the dream that at one point you had, and being just at an arm's distance, but, but not being part of it, right? The actual in-ring part of it. Was, was that hard for you all throughout? Or at some point, did he just kind of put that in the past? That was a pipe dream. This worked out great. No regrets. No, there's no regrets. And uh, financially, <laughs> there's no regrets. And my right. retirement fund will tell everyone that there's no regrets. Yeah, yeah. But, but did you pine to, to be in the ring sometimes? Watching a great match, watching a, a great spot and, and the athletic style that, that you were practicing when you came up. Uh, no, I honestly, I get a lot I, of fun. No, I never did. It, honestly, really? wow. the, day, the day that I signed my contract to be an announcer and the day I became an employee, you know, all my focus was on becoming the best announcer that I could be. I mean, I lived at that studio in Connecticut for, you know, nine or ten years. Uh, when I first got on the road, I didn't say a word for two years. You know, I, I – in my opinion, I came up the most traditional way that you can come up in this business um, because of people like Taz and Michael Cole, and, and I hate the way it's become now, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, because there isn't that level of, you, you know, you pay your proper dues, and, and I think I did that. I drove the car for, for years, and I listened, and, you know, I think because of that, you know, I can confidently say that I'm, you know, happy with my body of work. Yeah. So was it just get back on the bicycle when, when, when you stepped into the ring a couple months back? And, and granted, you weren't asked to do as much as kind of a full-fledged standard wrestling match. Um, but, but was there a lot of rust there, even doing simple stuff? No, there wasn't. And I've always tried to stay active and things like that. Um, I did lose like 15 or 16 pounds uh, leading up to the match um, because I was doing a crazy amount of cardio. I just didn't want to get blown up. That was the only thing I was – I wasn't worried about doing yeah. anything. I was just worried about the, the cardio uh, aspect of it. And um, the only thing I really wanted to do was the disaster pick, and I texted Cody and asked him if I could do it, and he said, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, but, but, I mean, it was just in a swanton, of course, and I got to do that. I mean, to, to be able to say that, you know, I did a swanton bomb in, in Mumbai, India, um, <laughs> you, you know, is something I'll never forget, too. So the whole thing, you know, and again, I've always told people that I'm not much of a, you know, sit back and, and think about the things that I've done. I'm more of a forward thinker and where are we going next, but you know, to, to reflect on those things now briefly, um, you know, it still makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a lot of fun. You know, before I let you go, uh, because uh, we're talking some about announcing here, I don't want to get your assessment of kind of the, the, the announcing landscape now, and it's kind of all over the place. In over on Impact, it's, it's sort of ironic. That's where you've got, like, kind of the established veterans um, in, in you and uh, Jeremy Borash. And in WWE, it's, it feels more like they're sort of trying everything, you know, and now – they just lost JBL, and they tried Lawler for a week, pulled Lawler out of there. Now Cody Graves is doing double or, or triple duty. Uh, Nigel McGinnis coming up. Um, what, what are some people you've heard and you like? Um, I guess I shouldn't ask you who you don't like, but uh, where do you see some real talent? Corey Graves seems to be pretty widely praised. It's hard for me to say um, because I don't watch any of the shows. 
and um, it's just, you know, I just don't. I, I watch everything that we produce, and um, I, I just don't have the time to sit and watch. You, know, you got to remember, for 13 years, I watched every single. Yes, you can tell everybody. For every, uh, yeah. you know, for 13 years, I watched every single show that that company produced. Like, I, I didn't miss an episode of Legend House or Total Divas because I wanted to be completely well-rounded um, and, and watched every, you know, while people were in the back playing ha-ha watching eating catering, you know, I was taking notes and, and watching every segment. Um, so not to say I was burned out, but, you know, the day that I didn't have to continue to keep up with that product, um, you know, I took full advantage and now I watch Monday Night Football. <laughs> yeah, I know, you're right. It's work. I mean, I think a lot of people say, take that for granted. It's entertaining for everybody else. For you, it's, uh, it's a job. I mean, my hand would cramp up at the end of those three-hour shows, and, you know, especially <laughs> when we were doing um, the pre- and post-show. Like, like, we would set up in the back of the arena, and I would keep my IFB in because I would get fed the announcers, um, the announcers in my ear and Vince in my ear talking to the announcers and literally just writing down everything that, you know, you know why you, the things that were said, why you say it's differently, you know, so that I could use those notes and those thoughts in, in the post-show. You know, I, that was the you know, the one thing that if I'm ever upset about the way things ended there, it wasn't because of my work ethic. Like, I, I put in as much as I could, um, you know, every night that I was there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it showed, and I think it's showing now. Uh, all right, I've already gone longer than I said I would with you. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you taking the time. All right, sounds good. Thank you. All right, man. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate it. <laughs>